kcfa.org. It is 3 p.m. and it is time for a stone's throw. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, September the 27th, 2011. Next week, we have got a um, marathon coming up. Um, That's a fundraiser. And I was looking through um, my books. I was looking for something to offer KPFA listeners as a premium. This is something we do here to try to persuade listeners to um, subscribe to the station. Now, I always think that that's unreasonable. I think that we, we are the gift. You should simply be thrilled to send in uh, cash just to keep us going, to keep the store open, you know. Uh, what do I know? I I guess what I did do... Since um, since it's so difficult to pick among these books, I thought I'd pick one book and see how far I get with that, and then I'll come up with some other premiums. I picked uh, a novel that's very popular just at the moment. It's called The Help, and I'll have it with me next Tuesday. I may read you just one little paragraph today just to give you a taste so that... Uh, You can decide whether perhaps you might wish to call in next week and subscribe to KPFA and get a copy of this New York Times number one bestseller. Uh, It's by Catherine Stockett, S-T-O-C-K-E-T-T. It's called The Help. There's a movie out. Um, I was thinking last night of Alison Janey. She plays the mother of one of the characters, one of the central characters, uh, She's the the quintessential white woman. Alison Janey is one of our great actors, and I'm uh, almost tempted to write to her. I was so impressed with her performance in the movie. Um, the movie gave me some, some what is it, uh, gave me pause just because I thought it, well, it's a two-hour feature film, you know, the sort of thing, but... I would have chosen a, um, what is it, one of those wonderful series that they're doing now. Oh, probably five hours for a saga or an epic, because there are too many characters to condense into one uh, feature film. Uh, I would say, actually, you could go to a 12-hour production for this one. Uh, You know, if you're... um, one of those HBO addicts like I am, um, 
you look forward to these long, drawn-out seasons. Uh, the new one on HBO is uh, Boardwalk Empire about Prohibition. I was looking at the previews last night, and I can hardly wait. Uh, there's a documentary about Prohibition coming up this Sunday. I was born the day Prohibition was repealed, so I feel that I have a, a special, a special feeling for, yes, the day we could all drink again. But the 1920s in Atlantic City is the subject of Boardwalk Empire, and the first season was a knockout. I, I was overwhelmed, and the second season looks even more fascinating. Actually, it brings back so many of my own memories, uh, I am a, not quite that old, but even the 1930s and 40s, I see all these echoes, the, uh, the backstory, the backdrop, the, just the, the textures, the furnishings. I found that they, they, uh, they were touchstones. They brought back all these memories of my early years, uh, Anyway, that's Boardwalk Empire starting up again this um, coming week. And, of course, the documentary by Ken Russell on Prohibition. Uh, now, the book, The Help, as I said, is just a, uh, what do you call that? A wonderful page-turning novel. Everybody likes it. I um, started reading it last Tuesday. I'm almost finished. I've just got... One or two chapters left. It is definitely one of those books that you stay up all night to read. Uh, and I can't, I can't decide whether I should recommend seeing the movie first or the book. You decide because for some of us, uh, one may spoil the other. I, I don't have that problem actually. Uh, I know that a movie is something entirely different. Um, uh, the the reviews here on the back of the book uh they they help a little bit uh, but i don't know you know they they say things like one of the most important pieces of fiction since to kill a mockingbird well i don't think uh comparisons are odious in this case uh i would i would put this book up alongside tony morrison's novel sula because uh Toni Morrison, well, I would call that her uh, well-made novel, her perfectly constructed novel. I used to like to use it to teach in high school because Sula is this wonderful book about a woman's uh, consciousness raising, in that case, the consciousness raising of one individual woman, uh, Sula, what a masterpiece that book is. Um, now, The Help, I'm trying to see, it was published just last year. And I think what I'll do, I think I'll start by reading you just a dollop of this book. And then for backstory, for background on race in America, <laughs> I'll read you some of Toni Morrison's Nobel laureate speech back in 1993 uh i did dig out 
my, well, from my research. I lined all these books up across the table, you know. I thought, I've got half an hour, surely I can condense the history of race in America, and especially uh, the history of black women in America into half an hour. I put together, well, let's see, here is one book. Uh, it's a collection of essays I used in school called The Negro in 20th Century America, a reader on the struggle for civil rights, and I picked it because it was published in 1967, and this book, The Help, is about specific women in Jackson, Mississippi, um, in 1961, 2, and 3, let's see, right, yeah. And I thought, yeah, let's see what what the scholars were writing. The essay collection is Vintage Books, Random House. And uh, I could read you the list. There's one, two, three, four, six pages of just the names of the essays. Um, you know, all the state laws on race and color, and I had to go back and try to remember um, all the laws on miscegenation. I kept going back to Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson, all the definitions and all this. Uh, oh, the references, you know, Langston Hughes, Malcolm X, Booker T, W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, and uh, it is, of course... Well, I guess you'd have to get a Ph.D. in this stuff to even get started. Uh, organizations, methods, goals, the seeds of protest, and, of course, my own favorite, W.E.B. Du Bois, The Souls of Black Folk, and what Du Bois called in 1902, he said the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line, the color line. I remember spending an entire semester asking students to uh, define race and color. And uh, thank God for Toni Morrison in her book, Jazz. She tries to explain the difference. She says that biological race is <laughs> no longer an issue. It's just, uh, well, uh, you figure it out. Uh I think, uh, well, in with, starting with the letter in Birmingham jail, uh, in those days, we used to talk about, I would call the, the imperative for civil rights, that kind of thing, but then I got so much more interested in, um, let's call it, uh, oh, the symbols, the poetry, um, I think, Tonya Morrison, in her big essay, she talks about language. You have to narrow these things down till they mean something. And she said, it is the language that she's obsessed with. And whether or not our language, this incredible English language, she says it is in the hands of the young, the new writers, the young. Uh, she describes it as a bird in the hand. And she she asked the question of whether or not the bird is living or dead. And that's the question I keep asking myself as I read each new book that comes along, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have a letter here from a kind listener to KPFA. I, I won't give her name out. She might not like that. I don't know. But once she wrote me a note saying she didn't get it about that bird, <laughs> the bird in the hand. And I thought, oh, dear. 
I didn't explain carefully enough about Toni Morrison's bird. Uh, what she meant, of course, was this word work we do, whether or not it is sublime or whether or not we're blowing it. Uh, let me try, let me try to read you just a little dollop from The Help and see if you get what I mean. And then we'll go to Toni Morrison who talks about these things. Well, you know, she thinks in, like the Pope, she thinks in centuries. But uh, here's a little tiny snippet from the help. This is one of the black women, uh, the maids, so-called maids, in the 1960s. I think we're 1962 now. And... uh, (laughs) This is Abilene. She's the probably the central character, one of the main characters in the story. And she's um, always in this predicament. She's raising uh, white children, 17 of them she's raised, she says. And uh, here she is being the mother to, the mother to, not the mammy or whatever you want to call it. She is mothering these children even knowing that they are going to grow up and become their mothers. Right, they are going to turn into racist Southerners. But she also knows that uh, she can, she has the opportunity to make a difference in their lives. Uh, in this particular case, the little baby girl she's talking to, she's a little girl's about two, between two and three at this point, and her mother is the sort of mom who uh, uh, neglects her. She ignores her. She uh, does not give her the attention the little girl needs. She does not give her what we call empowering (laughs) hugs and kindnesses. Anyway, let me just read you this. When Abilene uh, is uh, right... (laughs) She's there's this scene. Someone has just told the mother that uh, the maid should teach the little girl good manners. And she says, you can't just hire anybody and hope you get lucky. (laughs) And the little girl, uh, the little girl crawls up on uh, her surrogate mother's lap and she says, I don't feel good. My throat hurts, Abby. So uh, the maid does something to fix the the hurt throat, and she fixes it with a cup of honey water and lemon and so forth. Uh, And then she says, what this girl really needs is a story so she can go to sleep. I lift her up in my arms. She's getting big, going to be three years old in a few months. Pudgy as a pumpkin. That's a problem here. Footnote, uh, they worry about the little girl's weight already before she's even three years old. Anyway. I will read to you now from Catherine Stockett's book, The Help. And Abby says, Every afternoon, me and baby girl sit in the rocking chair before her nap. Every afternoon, I tell her, You kind, you smart, you important. But she growing up and I know soon, them few words ain't going to be enough. Abby, read me a story. I look through the books to see what I'm going to read to her. I can't read that Curious George one more time because she don't want to hear it. Or Chicken Little. Or Madeline either. So we just rock in the chair and 
May Mobley leaned her head against my uniform. We watched the rain dripping on the water that's out in the green plastic pool. Uh, I say a prayer for Mary Evers, that's the wife of Medgar Evers, wishing I'd had work off to go to the funeral. Think about how her son, the ten-year-old son, somebody told me, He'd cried so quiet through the whole thing. I rock and pray, feeling so sad. I don't know. Something just come over me. The words just come out. Once upon a time, there was two little girls. One girl had black skin. One girl had white. May Mobley look up at me. She listening. The little colored girl say to the little white girl, How come your skin be so pale? White girls say, I don't know, how come your skin be so black? What do you think that mean? Them little girls knew, so little white girls say. Boy, let's see, you got hair, I got hair, I gives May Mobley a little tossle on her head. Little colored girls say, I got a nose, you got a nose, I gives her a little snout a tweak. She got to reach up and do the same to me. The little white girl say, I got toes, you got toes, and I do the little thing with her toes. She can't get to mine because I got my white work shoes on. So, where's the same? Just a different color, say that little colored girl, the little white girl, she agreed. And they was Friends, the end, baby girl, just look at me. Lord, that was a sorry story. If I ever heard one, wasn't even no plot to it. But May Mobley, she smile. She say, tell it again, so I do. By the fourth time she asleep, I whisper, I'm on tell you other one time. That's the little scene where uh, Abilene tells this little girl the story about color, about the color line. After I read that, I went to my uh, big literary anthology and I looked up a poem by William Blake that I will not read to you because... I think in today's world it would be considered racist. Uh, if you're curious, look up William Blake's poem about the little black child. Uh, very interesting. Uh, this chapter in the book goes on to talk about how the babies, uh, uh, how the babies can't swim <laughs> in the Segregated country clubs, yes, not Negroes, not Jews. She says, yes, the Jackson Jews got to swim over at Colonial Country Club. Negroes swim in Mays Lake made me remember my own childhood in Tucson, Arizona. I had a friend, my friend Lenore. Um, she was my Jewish friend, uh, a girl who was <laughs> much better off than I was, but we didn't pay too much attention to that back in the third and fourth grade, but I do remember uh, 
Come to think of it, yes, she was olive-skinned. I do remember her being asked to get out of the pool, the country club, club pool. Now, I blamed my mother for that. My mother should have known the club was restricted and that my friend would be embarrassed. But uh, I do remember thinking at the time that my friend was very nonchalant about the whole thing. She said, oh, it happened all the time, you know. God bless her for being so cool. Um, interesting. Interesting how all this stuff, um, yes, it did happen. And it still happens in so many, many ways. This book, The Help, uh, is worth having on your shelf, folks. Uh, I'm looking at it here. We got the paperback, and it's just a, it's a nice and expensive $16 paperback. Very practical. I don't know if you've read the book or if you've seen the movie. I would appreciate any feedback you can give me. And next Tuesday, I will use it as my KPFA premium. It is definitely on my shelf, along with a lot of other books. I was trying to think. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. There's this problem we have, you know, about which book is best, which book is at the top of the pyramid. I'd put it up there, as I said, with Toni Morrison's Sula, but more than that, I would put it up there next to, um, hmm. well, let's see, uh, not just To Kill a Mockingbird. I was thinking mostly of books by black American writers. I was thinking of... Uh, James Baldwin's Go Tell It on the Mountain, his growing up in uh, Harlem, that would be the 1940s. That book really hit me between the eyes. Wow. Uh, go back further, you get Richard Wright's Black Boy. I used to use a little chapter in that book for the eighth grade students, a chapter where uh, Richard Wright, obviously the central character in the story, He, um, it's an orange for Christmas, and he eats the whole thing, even the peels, he saves those, um, for later. Anyway, that one, and oh, uh, his later book, um, Another Country, in which he tries to write about, uh, the, well, let's call it the great Creole novel. He puts everybody in there, black, white, and whatever, uh. This is the difficulty. Um, the difficulty is whose point of view, you know, in the help. The central character is trying to write the uh, experiences of her, uh, the black maids in her town in uh, Jackson, Mississippi in the 1962. And, of course, the problem is that um, they're not very likely to tell her the truth Um This whole business of speaking truth to power can get you killed, as you know. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I I won't have time to read you all of Toni Morrison's Nobel Lecture. I should have started with that because this is the heavy-duty thing. Uh, Toni Morrison writes that word work is sublime. She says we die, and that may be the meaning of life, but we do language, and that may be the measure of our lives. Once upon a time, she writes, there was an old woman. She was blind and wise. 
In the version, I know that woman is the daughter of slaves. She's black, American. She lives alone in a small house outside of town. The honor she is paid and the awe in which she is held reach beyond her neighborhood to places far away to the city. The intelligence of rural prophets is the source of much amusement. (laughs) One day the woman is visited by some young people. They seem to be bent on disproving her clairvoyance and showing her up for the fraud they believe she is. They stand before her. One of them says, Old woman, I hold in my hand a bird. Tell me whether it is living or dead. She doesn't answer. She's blind. She cannot see her visitors, let alone what is in their hands. She does not know their color, their gender, or homeland. She only knows their motive. The old woman's silence is so long, the young people have trouble holding their laughter. Finally, she speaks, and her voice is soft but stern. I don't know, she says. I don't know whether the bird you are holding is dead or alive, but what I do know is that it is in your hands. It is in your hands. Morrison goes on to write, and I guess in my head she may be speaking to Catherine Stockett and a lot of other young writers. Uh, Writes, I choose to read the bird as language and the woman as a practiced writer. That would be Toni Morrison. Worried about how the language she dreams in, given to her at birth, is handled, put into service, even withheld from her for certain nefarious purposes, she believes that if the bird in the hands of her visitors is dead, the custodians are responsible for the corpse. She is convinced that when language dies out of carelessness, disuse, and absence of esteem, indifference, or killed by fiat, not only she herself, but all users and makers are accountable for its demise. In her country, children have bitten their tongues off. They use bullets instead to voice a speechlessness of disabled and disabling language of language adults have abandoned altogether as a device for grappling with meaning, providing guidance or expressing love. But she knows tongue suicide is not only the choice of children, it is common among the infantile heads of state and power merchants whose evacuated language leaves them with no access to what is left of their human instincts for they speak only to those who obey, or only in order to force obedience. Toni Morrison goes on to write a, write a great deal about what oppressive language does to us. And she's talking about the death of the heart and uh, <laughs> about how we tuck those fascist boots under the crinolines of respectability, right? Uh, 
the essay goes on to propose that we trust one another. Uh, we trust the young to cherish the language. I will be back on the air again next Tuesday uh, to talk about the language and the unspeakable things we use it for. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the shadows out of we invite you to come out and support a benefit for the Down Syndrome Connection of the Bay Area at the Little Hills Ranch in San Ramon on October 2nd for the 2011 Bay Area Buddy Walk. We invite you to take part in activities such as swimming, enjoy live music, and a barbecue lunch. Park opens for registration at 10.30 a.m. Walk starts promptly at 12 noon. You can open doors for people with Down syndrome and start a chain reaction of acceptance and inclusion in your community by joining the Down Syndrome Connection of the Bay Area Buddy Walk on October 2nd in San Ramon. More at area code 925 three six two eight six six zero or at firstgiving.com slash DSCBA. And you're tuned to ninety four point one FM KPFA here in Berkeley, eighty nine point three KPFB in Berkeley, eighty eight point one KFCF in Fresno and online at KPFA dot org. It is moments before three 